Thank you, choir. God has been so faithful to us as individuals and as a church. I'm glad he's brought Aaron Duncan to us, uh, to our church, to lead our worship. He's the real deal. He can do the choir, guitar, everything, man. And he's a humble, authentic, godly guy. And I hope you will get a chance to meet him and Sweet Laura and their kids are so well-behaved. Morgan is worried that they're going to make our kids just look terrible. So y'all show some grace to my children, please, uh, as the wonderful Duncan children uh, are here with us today. Uh, thank you, Aaron and choir. God's been faithful to us in so many ways, too. We had a finance committee meeting this morning, and don't stop giving to the church, but our finances are in really good shape right now, which is an amazing thing. They told me not to say that, but I'm telling you, it's just exciting to see how God has been so faithful to us. And we are so grateful and so glad as we plan this budget that we're not trying to scramble or trying to see where we can uh, increase giving. Um, God's been doing, I don't talk about money very often. Jesus did talk about money, but um, I don't have to because you guys have been so faithful and God has been faithful through you, so uh, thank you for your generous giving. Last week, we started a new series about God's mission for Woodmont, and it's a little outside my comfort zone because I like to, you know, get my text from the Lord and just exposit that text as we walk through the Bible, and this is different for me because it's more didactic, it's more teaching, it's more about um, where our staff has felt the Lord calling us to go. And we've kind of been rolling this out really slowly. Some wise deacon told me when I first came here, he said, Nathan, you can't, you're not the CEO. You can't come in and just change everything. He said, you gotta plant the seeds. You gotta kind of nurture them over time. And it's like farm work. It is more like farming than, than like running a business. And I've enjoyed kind of sowing these seeds. And now we're finally, after really about 18 months of working on this, kind of rolling it out to you all and letting you see what we believe the Lord has shown us to be right and true for Woodmont Baptist Church. Now, if I lost you when I said mission and vision with a huge eye roll, because you said groan, we've heard this before, it's very boring, it's not exciting, there's thousands and thousands of books out there about how companies and, and businesses and churches should have a mission and vision and values and and honestly, there's, there's conferences and church consultants who make tons of money off talking about this kind of stuff. And, and the reality, sadly, is that often it doesn't really do anything. Nothing changes, right? So let me just give you two reasons why I, I hope and pray this is different, okay? First, I believe that our staff really did receive an epiphany, a word from the Lord, about what Woodmont Baptist Church was to be about and do during our time away last October. We prayed, we, we really discerned together where the Lord was leading us, and this is what we felt we heard from the Lord. Second, everything that we're saying over these next two months about our mission and vision and values is, is what we see in Scripture about what God's written revelation says about how to do this thing called church. It's nothing that original, really, that we're coming up with. Someone said last week, like, oh, hey, great sermon. I'm like, thanks. It really is just what Jesus said. <laughs> it's amazing how powerful Jesus' own words are. Because I told you that, you know, last week I told you when we came into that conference on mission and vision and values, I had lots of ideas. Man, I had some really good mission statements ready to go. 
that we could use here at Woodmont. I thought they were pretty clever. I thought they were, you know, really relevant and, and kind of hip, and they would look great on a t-shirt or something. And, and then we were told at that conference that, hey, you don't get to pick the mission. You don't get to cleverly come up with the mission. The mission for your church has already been given to you by the one that we call Lord and Master and Savior. So last week we talked about how, yes, the whole Bible shows us how to be God's people, how to successfully and efficiently uh, go forth into the world as God's people, but there are two key passages of Scripture that we talked about last week that I want to quickly recap that come directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He did not mince words when he gave us the great commandments and the great commission. Jesus was once asked by a Jewish legal expert and scholar, teacher, what is the greatest commandment out of the 613 individual mandates that we see in the Torah? Which one is the, the weightiest? Which one is the most important? Which one should we prioritize above all others. It was a trap, of course, but Jesus didn't care. He walked into it because he knew the right answer. He replied with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But he didn't stop there. He gave him a bonus commandment. It's really a complementary, meaning it complements the first commandment. A complementary commandment, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. On these two commandments, Jesus said, depend all of the Torah, all the law and the Nebaim, the prophets. All of the law and the prophets are summarized in these commandments to love God and to love our neighbors. These two great commandments are God's prescriptions for how to exist as his people. They are God's main ways of showing us how we are to live our lives each and every day. They're also the two foundational purposes of who we are supposed to be as God's chosen people, as God's special family of faith. To love him more fully, to exalt him to his rightful and proper place of first and primary love in all of our lives, loving him more than football, loving him more than fellowship, loving him more than our own families, loving him more than our jobs or money, exalting him, magnifying him, glorifying him is our first priority. It's why we were born. It's why we're here. We were hardwired for worship. And then the natural horizontal expression of that love of God manifests itself outwardly in loving our neighbors as ourselves. And that kind of love must be a verb. It's an action thing. It must lead to serving and actually giving ourselves away sacrificially for the sake of the other. We call that ministry. Travis, you're good, man. You, you call that one. <laughs> ministry. But there's also a great mission at hand. We are to love God and, and love people, but there's a mission too, a great commission that Jesus gave himself. And really the great commission 
stems from the great commandments. If we love God, we're naturally going to be about the things that God is about, which is accomplishing the missio dei, the mission of God. That's why this sermon series is called God's Mission for Woodmont. Not Woodmont's mission, not Nathan's mission, but God's mission, the missio dei. After Jesus had accomplished the work that the Father had sent him to earth to do, to give us words of life, to show us how to love people well, and then to die on a cross, an atoning death for our sins, and then rising again, defeating the power of sin and the law and death forever. After all of that, he appeared to his disciples, and he gave them a great commission. And I love the way that there's a pastor, he's dead now, from California named Jack Miller. He, he breaks the commission down into three parts. I think this is helpful. First, there's the enthronement proclamation, and then there's a task given and defined, and then there's a promise of power. He starts out by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the enthronement proclamation Jesus has now accomplished all the work the Father has given him to do, and he's about to ascend back into heaven to claim his rightful place on his heavenly throne, to reign as sovereign over all creation, sustaining the universe by his will and sovereign might. As we sang last week, no power of hell, no scheme of man could ever thwart Jesus' purposes because he reigns. He rules alone. So since Jesus has defeated the last enemy, which is death, he has now ushered in this whole new era of existence. We call this the Messianic Age. And he now is King of kings and Lord of lords. We operate under his authority, not under the authority of this world, not under the authority of the evil one, not under the authority of physical things, but under the authority of the risen Christ. Now we receive our task. Part two of the Great Commission is go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus gives us a task and he defines it in three ways. First, we're to make disciples of all the nations. We call that evangelism. It's sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with those whose lives were defined by bad news formally. We're commanded to bring the light of Christ into the dark corners of this world, of our own city, of our nation, of our own households. That's called evangelism. Then we are to baptize. We know baptism is the entryway into the family of faith known as the church, the body of Christ. We call that entrance fellowship. Once you are united in koinonia, unity like Sarah prayed for in her prayer, through the Holy Spirit, the same spirit who indwells you and indwells me that makes us closer than blood. That's fellowship. But we're not just after decisions for Christ and baptisms just to add people into our church. The third point here is to make disciples. We're to make disciples, not converts. 
Jesus commanded us to teach these new believers to live the kind of life that he taught us about. We call that discipleship. Learning to follow Christ and become more like him every day as we observe all that he has commanded us. Discipleship is a a lifelong process of maturation and growth. It's a gradual transformation of growing in grace as we die to ourselves and become more like the risen Christ himself. This, this task is overwhelming. Go and make disciples of all nations. I, I, I can't. Go and baptize people. Make them into the fellowship of the family of faith. Teach them to observe everything that Jesus taught us. How can we possibly begin to make disciples of all nations? Yes, we're under the authority of the one who is enthroned, but still, how do we do that? Well, he gives us a promise of power. He started the Great Commission by claiming that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. And now he promises, he promises us that that authority that power that he possesses as the one who has all authority will be with us for a little while? No. Forever. To the end of the age, he says, behold, I'm with you always. I, who have all authority, am with you always. To the end of the age. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? That his power will always be with us. Do you remember back in, in John 20 when we were going through John sometime probably in October maybe uh, of last year when the, the risen Christ appears to the disciples in the, the locked room? Remember after his death and resurrection, he, he appears somehow in the middle of this locked room to his disciples. And, and what does he say? He gives them a commission. Do you remember that? In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. Remember, they're, they're terrified. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father sent me to help play my part in God's redemptive purposes for the world, now I'm sending you to go and be God's hands and feet. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It was a foretaste of what would happen in just a couple weeks at the Feast of Pentecost when the believers, just maybe 120 of them, were gathered in the upper room and a freight train came rushing in. A tornado of fire and wind entered into the room where the disciples were gathered as the Holy Spirit came rushing into the hearts of those who were in Christ. We now have Christ's own spirit, God the spirit, powerfully working out his purposes in us and through us. How could we not succeed? The power of Christ will go forth in the spirit of the sovereign Lord. The nations will hear the good news of God's saving love for them. The power of Christ will bring in the harvest, not any one of our power. So I mentioned last week that Rick Warren, he says that a church that takes seriously the great commandments and the great commission will be 
a great church. I think that's right. And Warren breaks those two key passages, the Great Commandments and the Great Commission, he breaks them down into five points. And we've already talked about this a lot, I know, but I think it's important. Love God, that's worship. Love our neighbors, that's ministry. Make disciples, that's evangelism. Baptize them into fellowship and teach them to live like Jesus. It's discipleship. That's the what of our church. That's summarized in our mission statement, to love God with all that we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to make disciples. But what's the how? How, what's the strategy for doing those things? What does it look like? I'm a visual learner. For those of you that are visual learners, I used to love getting huge Lego sets at Christmas. Anybody do those huge Lego sets? I'm looking at you young adults back there. The engineer, Braden, yes, of course he did. Um, but it's a visual thing, there's no words. My dad is a very verbal person. He could never understand how I could put together a huge pirate ship just from some little pictures. But I, I'm a visual learner, so we've broken this down into a graphic that I, I hope you can understand if you're a visual person. Uh, thanks to Andy, our communications director, we have this helpful diagram that's kind of like our Lego instruction manual for making disciples. What's our strategy? Well, it starts with, there's lots of points of entry on the diagram. You could enter, it's a circle, so you could jump in anywhere, but I wanna start with what I think is the key for us who are already here. You see, the, the church really should exist for those who aren't here yet, right? As we look at our budget, Don, as we prepare ministry plans, we should think this isn't for us, it's for those who are outside of these four walls still, who are yet to be here. So what I want to talk about is evangelism first. The word evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion. You means good, right? Angel is a messenger. It's good message. It literally means good news. So to evangelize merely means to gospel. Evangelism, really, when you hear that word, you, you may, again, groan because you've seen it done badly you maybe even have seen damage done through poor efforts at evangelism that wasn't based in love and God's grace, that wasn't really obedient to God's commandment, but was heavy-handed heavy hell and brimfire type stuff. What we're talking about is telling good news, sharing good news. That's a good thing. In Mark 16, 15, there's another version of a commission the, the, one of the last verses in all of the Gospel of Mark, he gives the disciples another commission. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Our creation has fallen, it's broken, it needs redeeming. Go share with this dark and fallen world good news. Rescue has come, and it's a person, and his name is Jesus. And he's coming again to finish the work that he started. I know probably a lot of you in here get maybe a little nervous. I do when we talk about evangelism. Maybe you say, oh, he's going to tell us to share the gospel with people around us. I know the reality is probably most of us don't share the gospel with lost people on a regular basis. That's okay. That's where we're at right now. It's not okay to stay there. We're going to move forward as we grow together 
and learn how to share good news. Remember, it's not a gift. I, I once made the mistake of telling another pastor, oh, I don't, I don't have the gift of evangelism. He said, oh, it's not a gift, it's a calling. Ouch, that's right. All of us are called to make disciples. If you're not making disciples, you may not be one. Ouch. It's a matter of obedience, but it's also a matter of pathos. Do you care enough to share good news? We got 40,000 people who drive by our church every day. What percentage of them do you think are lost in searching? A, a great many of them, at least. 80%, 90, 95? Do we care enough about them? Do we love our neighbors, really love them? Because if we do, and if we believe that God's word is true about heaven and hell, do we love them enough to tell them good news? If we keep good news to ourselves, that's just selfish, right? We're called to give it away. And we know it's more fun to give than it is to receive, I promise. It really is a matter of being generous enough to tell another fellow beggar where to find bread. Will we love sacrificially in a way that might cost us our social reputation, in a way that might cost us our status at work, our standing with our family members? I can't wait to tell y'all some of the stories about some of the people in our church who are pace setters. That's a word I'm gonna use this year. We have people in this church who are pace setters in evangelism. Do you know what I mean by that? They're out in front of us, they're out in front of me, and they're sharing the good news with their neighbors, and I, we're, gonna, we're gonna film those stories. We're gonna get them to talk about how they're sharing the gospel, and we're gonna tell you their stories about how they're seeing the Lord use them to share good news with others. I can't wait to share some of those stories with you. You're gonna hear testimonies in the coming months as we focus on evangelism and outreach. That's a word that I have a lot of baggage with. Outreach can mean whatever you want it to mean. I mean loving outside of these walls, looking outside of this church. We're gonna focus on that all during 2020. I hope you'll join us in that journey. If we're gonna grow at all, it's through evangelism. Otherwise, we're just shuffling sheep around or stealing sheep from other churches. I have no interest in that. We're gonna have some evangelism training opportunities. I've talked to Eric Titchener, who's been an IMB missionary overseas for 12 years about hosting some trainings. I can't wait to see how the Lord's gonna stretch us, including me, and use us to change lives as we look outside of this church to join the Lord in what he's already doing around us. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would raise up workers who will go out and gather in. And as we evangelize, we will see people come to faith, to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Fellowship is the on-ramp, really, to the disciple-making process. When they become a part of the body of Christ, they are our brother and sister in a way that is closer than flesh and blood. Being baptized into the family of faith is really the entry point for discipleship. And after the, the first Baptist church of Jerusalem received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Simon Peter got up and delivered a just awesome sermon, and 3,000 believers were added to their fellowship that day. 
That may sound like a logistics nightmare, but it became this beautiful picture of koinonia. As Aaron read earlier from Acts chapter 2, Trey was saying, amen. Hearing about believers sharing all they had in common, breaking bread in each other's homes, worshiping every day, praising the Lord for what he was doing among them. What a beautiful picture of fellowship. That's, that's what we're made for, to, to worship, but also to be in authentic community with a family of faith. Remember, nobody can do Christianity on their own. It's not, it is absolutely a team sport. It's not something you can just go out and do. You know, Derrick Henry is an amazing running back, as he proved again last night, but he's not able to take on the Ravens by himself. One man versus 11 would not work out well. He needs an offensive line to block for him. You see the story how he bought his, his offensive line watches because he appreciates them so much. thought that was beautiful. It takes a team. We need other people around us to sharpen us, to lift us up when we're down, to encourage us, sometimes to knock us down when we're a little too high, sometimes just to, to bear each other's burdens, maybe to point out the, the log and it's in my eye as I look at the speck that's in your eye. We need other people around us to hold us accountable. I hear all the time, too, about how the fellowship at Woodmont is so rich. I got a phone call from a guy who was passing through town last week, and he showed up, and Marcus ended up taking him to Sunday school with him, and uh, he came to worship, and he, he called me from out of state just to say, your church is the most welcoming and most friendly church I've ever been in. If I lived in Nashville, I would be there absolutely every week. He said, thank you for making me feel so welcome. So thank you, Marcus, and to the SALT class for hosting him last week. Our church is a family. I love it. We have multiple generations. We sing songs like Where Love Ran Red with a guitar. We also sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness. That was sung at my wedding, Trey. And so was Come Thou Fount, which was at your wedding and mine too. We sing songs like that because we're a family of faith. I, I love that we have young and old here all together. That's a rare thing in churches these days. I've seen other churches. It's, it's, it's rare to have that. It's kind of like how the Gregories have four generations under their roof right now and added a puppy to that chaos. It's a beautiful thing when we break bread around the tables like we're going to after the service today and hear about Trey's vision for a church plant. I, I love walking down the hallway to the children's area and, and see those pictures of, of Bobby showing me how to eat crawfish properly as I was a, a noob trying to figure out how to do it. And the Louisiana girl here is like, come here, preacher, let me show you how to do it. Our, our family of faith loves to be together, to eat together. Chris Keaton told me they had no fun last night at their Sunday school class party that he, he left early. He's, <laughs> he's a sarcastic person, if you don't know Chris. They had a great time, so much fun that Becky even wore her Titans uh, eye patches today to, to church. Our church has really experienced a resurgence of unity, of family feel of warmth that is evidence of the Holy Spirit among us, and I'm so thankful. A lot of times we turn the lights off on Sundays and people are still hanging out. I love that. I'm grateful to add new members to our family, like Kathy Fowler, who joined last week. But let's be careful to remember that fellowship is not about membership in a social club. It's not about having friends. It's not about being liked or popular. It's about membership in the body of Christ. There is no male or female, Jew or Greek. 
slave or free, we are all one in the body of Christ, who is our head. But we're not stopping at fellowship. We can't. We've got to keep going around the wheel. It'd be nice to just eat around the tables all the time, but there's more to do. Jesus told us in the verse that Aaron read earlier that we are to bear our own cross and follow him. And where does that lead? Why do you put your cross on your shoulder? Where are you going if you carry an instrument of death? If someone said to you, take up your electric chair and follow me, where would you be going? To die. To die. To give up your own life so that Christ can live fully through you. That's discipleship. Learning to die to yourself and give yourself away for the purposes of the gospel is not an easy thing, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a great way to live. I'm convinced it's the best way to live. I'm trying more and more to be like Jesus. Here at Woodmont, we seek to teach our members, every single person, to live the way Jesus lived, to observe all that he told us to do and be. We take discipleship seriously. We just spent a year walking verse by verse through the entire Gospel of John. We encourage men and women to participate in Bible studies, small groups, prayer groups, book studies. Our small group leaders here diligently prepare lessons week after week that will guide our members into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ as they grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Trey and I have laughed a lot about how our application and our teaching, a lot of our teaching that we do is, so pray and read your Bible. Pray and read your Bible. It, I, it's funny how I told teenagers that, now I'm telling adults that, it's the same thing. There's no spiritual growth apart from God's word. If you don't have a Bible reading plan for 2020, it's not too late, just jump in. We have four really good ones on our website. Right now, go to woodmontbaptist.com, find one that works for you. Don't give yourself grace, don't be legalistic about it. But get in God's word every day. Learn to take everything to him in prayer. What a privilege it is to carry everything to the Lord in prayer. And as we grow, we begin to give ourselves away more, living more for others, loving our neighbors. We call that ministry. People don't realize how many ministries this church has. I wish I had time to tell you how every week we give away groceries at the food pantry ministry and we pray for people who are struggling or how we pack bags of snacks every week that will be secretly stuffed into the backpacks of students from Hillsborough High School who will go home on the weekend and not have the free lunch and breakfast that they receive each day during the week. How we fund 140 students to attend school in Sierra Leone where there is no such thing as public school. Or how we host a refugee church right now down the hall full of Africans who had to flee their homes due to some horrendous circumstances. Prison ministry, begin anew, is incredible. The rescue mission, the list goes on and on. Room in the end. I really want our church to continue to just grow in how we give ourselves away for the poor, the marginalized, those who are what Jesus calls the least of these. Because when we love them well, we love Jesus well. He made that point clear in Matthew 25. And the key to the whole strategy, the energy that drives this wheel, the whole, the whole disciple-making model depends on worship. If we don't 
put God in his rightful position of first place. He's the center of it all. If we put ourselves there, if we put money there, if we put programs there, anything else besides God, the triune God of the universe, then we're missing the point. When I taught on worship before, I, I really believe if we get worship right, the rest of that wheel will fall into place. Aaron has a real heart to lead us to love the Lord with all that we are. If we'll follow him, if we'll open our hearts to the Lord and allow him to become our all in all, then we will see that wheel begin to make more sense as we love God, as we desire his kingdom above anything else in this world. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his great grace. So if we learn to do this, our emotions, our thoughts, our energies, and our faculties each day will be focused and centered on the Lord our God. We can't make disciples without a strong desire to commune with the high and holy God of all creation through worship. Worship has to become a lifestyle for us where we seek to make much of God in all that we do. I, I get convicted, how much time do I spend on my phone looking at social media instead of in communion with God and his word? How, how much do I spend talking about football, which I enjoy sports, I love sports. How much do I talk about golf? And then how much do I talk about the Lord? I have a friend who just, every time you talk to him, he always says, oh, the Lord's been so good to us. You know, here's what the Lord's doing, the Lord. He just mentions the name of the Lord. And it just, it peppers his conversation. I want to be like that. I want every time I talk to you that I just bring up what God's doing in my life because I'm so focused on the Lord every day and every hour of every day. I want him to be first in my mind, in my heart, and even in my energies, in my body. If you don't enjoy communing with God in his word, if you don't enjoy gathering with his people, if you don't enjoy singing songs of praise to our Lord, maybe we should ask ourselves, do I really love God or am I missing the boat? I want us to be a singing church. I really do. I, I thought you sang well today, even a new song. I told Aaron, I was like, I don't think people know that song. He said, well, I'm going to teach it and we're going to sing it again and people will learn it and they'll sing it. I said, that's right. I forgot. You're not just here for a month. <laughs> You're going to be here a while to teach us these new songs. And I heard you sing, church. I love that. I want to hear you. Lift up a voice of praise, even if your voice isn't great. I don't care. I think Aaron's really going to help us learn to worship the Lord here and outside of these walls. So I hope that by now you have a sense of how we're going to love God, love our neighbors, and make disciples. I hope this model makes sense to you. The thing is, we each have a part to play in this process. It takes each one of us pulling together to become the kind of healthy church that truly is the body of Jesus Christ? Where can you serve in ministry? Where can you plug in and, and be discipled? And the other side of that coin is who can you disciple? Who has the Lord brought into your life that you can sharpen? Who can you gospel with? Who can you evangelize? Who do you know that needs to hear some good news because they've been living in bad news? I'm so excited about our future together. I really am. I think this model really works. I think lives will be changed for eternity 
This is a billion-year investment, not just a two-year, three-year thing. It's a billion-year investment because the lives that are changed by making disciples will last in eternity forever with Jesus Christ. I can't wait to see it. I hope you're excited about it too. And I hope you will find your place on this wheel where you can jump in. Church isn't really church if you're just coming and being poured into. But when you start pouring out, that's when it becomes the body of Christ. I hope you'll do both, give and receive, because that's what church is supposed to be about. Let's go to him now, a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for giving us this epiphany, this revelation of what we are to be about. We know that your word tells us that Jesus clearly told us to love you, to love our neighbors, and to make disciples. Now, God, we think we have a strategy for how to do that. Help us to not neglect any part of this strategy, but to take seriously the call to evangelize, to go out and share the gospel, to look outside of these walls, to get out of our comfort zones, to make sure that this is not just a social club for us, but a, a fueling station that we come and get filled up and sent back out into the world where our ministry exists. God, I pray that you would help us as the staff to equip the saints for the work of ministry that you've called each person to here in this room. God, I pray that we would see new believers come to faith in you. I pray that we would see lives transformed by the gospel for all eternity. God, I thank you for all the ministries that I named, all the ones I didn't name, for people who are finding hope and healing through Celebrate Recovery. God, we thank you for the chains of addiction that are falling. God, we thank you for those who are finding healing through grief share those who are learning to manage their finances through financial peace, and all the other ways, God, in which you use this church to minister to our neighbors. God, I pray that you would continue to grow us in discipleship. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but that we would continue to, to gather together to worship you, to study your word, to sharpen one another. I pray that we would really take discipleship seriously here in this church as we grow in grace and become more like you and less like our old selves. Lord, we love you. We know that we can't do this if we don't love you more. So just give us a desire for you, God. May we yearn, may our bones ache for more of you in our lives, for your reign, for your rule, for your will to be done in our lives and on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to have a response time now. We're going to sing, We Are Called to Be God's People. It's a beautiful text of what the church is supposed to be. If you know that the Lord is calling you to be a part of Woodmont Baptist Church and you're ready to join as a member and you're ready to say, I'm in, I, I'm not perfect, but I want to, to pour out into others. I want to be used in ministry and discipleship. I need accountability. I need discipleship then come forward now during this time, and I'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you just want to be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you just want to pray with somebody. If you want to pray with someone, I'm going to ask Trey and Brad, Jane, if y'all come. Hector, come on up, man. If you, want to, if you want to become a Christian for the first time, then uh, I invite you to come forward. If you want to renew your faith in Jesus Christ, if you want to be baptized, whatever it is, don't leave this place until you've made your response. Let's stand and sing. We are called to be God's people.